Standing, grab your copy of God's Word, the Bible, Holy Scripture, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. While you are turning, bridge kids are dismissed. This is for our elementary age students, grades K through 5. Your teachers are ready for you. They are waiting for you at the back. Uh, they have your Sunday school lesson prepared for you at this time. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, beginning with verse number 35. On last Sunday, we celebrated Resurrection Sunday, and we preached from uh, verses uh, 15 to 34, I believe, or something like that and where Paul argued that if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been risen, and then our labor is in vain. But then he goes to verse 20, and he clearly says, but in fact, indeed, Christ has been raised. And so uh, we want to finish that now and, and talk about some of the truth surrounding our bodily resurrection. Now, I will forewarn you, on last Sunday, uh, someone preached 26 and a half minutes. And we all know that's ungodly. So I have repented, and today you get to experience the fruit of my repentance. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So get ready, get ready, get ready. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, beginning with verse number 35. And here is how the word of the Lord reads. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. Tell us how you really feel, Paul. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another there is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last item, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. 
the second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the last trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God ah, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hallelujah. You may be seated. That'll preach. That'll preach. My, my, my. Thank you, Heavenly Father. One of the privileges and blessings of being married is you get to experience things you would never experience such as sitting in the living room and watching HGTV. <laughs> so I have become a fan of a number <laughs> of shows where homes are rehabbed, renovated, remodeled. Oftentimes, the show begins with someone looking for a home. Maybe, let's see, a fixer-upper. Normally, when you see these homes, these houses, they've undergone some deterioration. The roof is in disrepair, sagging, the walls are stained, molded, 
And most of the time, everybody who wants to renovate the house will say that the walls are out of place because they're always tearing them down. The wood is rotten. You can see the effect of neglect on the home. Some, like myself, would call that home unsalvageable. If I had my way, I'd say just tear it down and start over again. But then someone like Chip and Joanna Gaines come in. <laughs> Our favorite HGTV Christians. <laughs> and they come and work their magic. Chip is a nut. He's crazy, but he's good at what he does. <laughs> he comes... And he puts in all this work, and he brings his crew with him. And they begin the process of restoration and renovation of this house that has been neglected, that has that suffered the effects of neglect. And before you know it, an hour later, what a waste of life. An hour for, for me, not for them, for me. An hour later, you, it seems as if there's a brand new home. The outside looks different. The yard looks different. The inside looks different. It feels different. Oh, 15 years ago, I did not know I would be watching HGTV. But it brings my heart joy to see these homes undergo a total transformation. There's something about seeing something that's run down, forgotten about, decayed, deteriorated. Seeing that being brought back to life, seeing it revived and restored. And now it's a new home for a new family. The same way we enjoy this total reformation of, our, of these homes on HGTV, Paul says that there's a greater total transformation. And he outlines that and explains that here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning verse 35. He says that for believers, our bodies will undergo a total transformation. He's been arguing up to this point. In, 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 in the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he reminds them of the core truths of the gospel, that Jesus died, was buried, and rose on the third day. And he gives proofs that, that, that Jesus rose from the grave because the tomb is empty, because he went, left the tomb and appeared to several people. And so then Paul after, after affirming this gospel truth, he reminds them that you believed and received this truth. And as we talked about last week, there were some in the Corinthian church who believed that there was no bodily resurrection. There was no way the body could suffer decay and then rise from the dead. And Paul says, if that is 
the case, if that is the truth, then Christ has not risen from the dead. And if Christ has not risen from the dead, then that gospel you believed and received is not true at all. And so he says Christ indeed has risen. So can you hear now this back and forth going between Paul and those who object to the resurrection? Their next objection that they bring to Paul is, how, how can it even be possible that a body that has died would come back to life. And if this body is even possible to come back to life, what will it look like? Then Paul tells, responds, oh foolish person. You, you ignorant person. And that's how the first part of our text is structured. It's around these two questions. The first one being, how is the bodily resurrection of the saints even possible? And Paul answers, first of all, by having us, by sharing with us the miracle of resurrected bodies. The miracle of resurrected bodies, verses 35 through 41. Paul says in verse 36, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life until it dies. Paul uses the illustration of a seed going into the ground and dying and then producing new life. Paul's point is that in order for the seed to bear fruit, it, it, to, to come to life, it first has to die. It goes into the ground and then sprouts into something completely different. In other words, that lifeless seed undergoes a transformation. And this is Paul's case for the possibility of the resurrection. It's possible that our bodies will rise from the dead because they will be transformed. So the question is, how does this transformation happen? How does this transformation come to be? Verse 38, but God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Paul clearly states out that God is the agent and the cause of the resurrection. God, church, is the God of transformation. Transformation is possible because he's a God of miracles. The question, the answer to the question is, how in the world is it even possible for bodies to be resurrected, it's because there is nothing too hard for God. Friends, we're talking about the same God who took the dust of the earth and created the first man. We're talking about the same God that extracted a rib from that first man and created the first woman. We're talking about the same God who fed the children of Israel with manna from heaven. We're talking about the same God who put a baby into a virgin. <laughs> We're talking about the same God who raised his son from the dead. He's a God of miracles. And just like the resurrection of Christ was a miracle, so will our resurrected bodies be a miracle. Now, I think this point helps answer one common question concerning the resurrection. What about Christians? whose physical bodies have been destroyed by fire 
or by drowning at the sea or dismembered? What about their bodies? Well, I think Genesis 1 gives us the pattern for how this will come about. I'm convinced that if God can take the dust of the earth and create a man, he can take the ashes from the fire. He can take whatever is left in the sea and give them a new body that can rise from the dead. So he says, he shares with us, first of all, the miracle of resurrected bodies. So then the second question that shows up in verse 35 is, with what kind of body do they come? And that's what Paul sets out to answer in verses 42 through 49. He, he moves from the miracle of resurrected bodies to the makeup of resurrected bodies. This, this question, with what kind of body do they come, concerns the nature or the characteristics or the attributes of our resurrected bodies. First, Paul says our resurrected bodies will be imperishable imperishable. Uh, in other words, I, he, he's saying our earthly body, our, our body in its present form is corruptible. In other words, it decays, it deteriorates. I remember when I worked in the insurance industry, one of the cases that would often come across my desk was back pain. And one of the main reasons people suffered from back pain was not because of an injury on the job or a slip and fall at a, at a business, but it was because of a condition, pre-existing condition, known as degenerative disc disease. We have disc in our back. Bet between each vertebra in our, in our back and in our neck are, are discs. They are jelly-filled-like uh, 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 substances, discs. And their job is to be like shock absorbers. And over time, gradually, as we age, those discs begin to lose their hydration. And so they get thinner and thinner and thinner. Sometimes this condition leads to various degrees of pain, all because that disc has degenerated over time. Degenerative disc disease is proof that our bodies are corrupted. They're decaying. They're deteriorating. Let me make some of you really sad. Our nursery right now is full of decay. The moment we are born, you too, don't feel too sad. The moment we are born, we start decaying, deteriorating. Why? Because these bodies in their present form have been corrupted, corrupted by sin. And all the effects of sin we feel and experience. 
The moment we are born, we start the process of decay. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. Oh, I got some good news. But Paul says we're going to have resurrected bodies. And these resurrected bodies will never deteriorate. They will never die. Matter of fact, our, our, our resurrected bodies will, will not, not even be able to die because sin has been defeated at the cross. So therefore, death is no longer a necessary consequence. So our resurrected body will be imperishable. Not only will it be imperishable, but our resurrected bodies will also be glorious. Paul says, on the other side of this, that our bodies have been sown in dishonor. Our current bodies are dishonorable. This is not because they are not valuable, but rather we must remember that in Greek culture, honor was the highest of values. It was an honor-shame culture. And honor was given to someone based on their position, their office, their wealth. So the Corinthians would have distinguished people to be honorable and dishonorable based on some human measure. And Paul's point here is that all of human life, I don't care what position you have, I don't care what office you hold, and I don't care how much wealth you have accumulated, all of human life is dishonorable because we're sinners. Sin is dishonorable. Another translation for this word dishonor is shame. We see that at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they were not supposed to, and they finally see one another as they are, naked. And what do they do? They run and try to cover themselves in fig leaves. The, the first thing that, as soon as sin enters the world, shame comes along. We see shame all the time. Get on Facebook, Twitter, and all these other platforms, and, and you will experience shaming of some kind. Somebody is being shamed for something. All of a sudden, in social media, everybody is righteous. And they're shaming people for something. They're too skinny. They're too big. They're too dark. They're too light. They're too nice. They're too mean. They're too liberal. They're too conservative. They're always being shamed about something. They're too pagan. They're too Christian. We live in a shaming culture now. And it, ha and it ha has just exploded because of social media. But friends, there's going to come a day where we won't have to worry about shame anymore. Jesus is saying, Paul is saying here, our bodies in their present state, they're dishonorable because they've been marred by sin. He says, but one day this dishonorable body will be raised in glory. Our resurrected bodies will be honorable because they will be splendid. 
There will be no shame in our resurrected bodies. I like how Paul uses these terms of honor and glory because it takes us back to creation. Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the angels, here it is, and crowned him with glory and honor. That's part of being in God's new creation. The glory and honor that we lost because of sin is going to be restored. In God's new creation, saints, Glory awaits. Third, our resurrected body will be mighty. Paul used it. He says, our, our, our body, what was, he says, what was sown in weakness will be raised in power. That word weakness, it means sickness, disease, without strength. Our, our earthly bodies are frail. And they're prone to disease. The state of our current bodies are such that we are susceptible to colds, the flu, pneumonia, bronchitis, diabetes, high blood pressure, migraines, stomach aches, heart failure, cancer, and all manner of diseases. diseases. Why? Because our bodies are weak. But oh, praise be to God, our resurrected bodies will be strong and mighty. Finally, our resurrected body will be spiritual. Our current bodies are natural in the sense that they are of this world. They are fleshly. They are designed to fit this present life. But our resurrected bodies will be spiritual. It will be a body fit for the spiritual realm. Now, one question that often comes up at this point is, yeah, I, I get all that, but what will our resurrected bodies actually look like? T tell me that. Well, I think in order to answer that question, we have to look back at the first fruits of the new creation, Jesus Christ himself. In the Gospels, we learn that the resurrected body of Christ was both recognizable and identifiable. Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene, then he appeared to two other disciples, then he appeared to the 11 remaining disciples or apostles. Everyone he appeared to was able to recognize him as Jesus. So I'm convinced that our resurrected bodies, though not exactly like our present bodies, will be similar to our resurrected bodies so that we will be identifiable as ourselves. In the resurrection, I'm going to know Connie is Connie. My Lord, can she get more glorious, y'all? <laughs> I'm working, I'm working, yeah. I'm working. And Paul would say yes. Because right now she's corrupted glory. I was doing so well until I said that, wasn't I? Now, you're, I've told you that our bodies will be similar. Our will be similar to our resurrected bodies will be similar to our present bodies. I, I said they won't be exactly the same because they will undergo a transformation. 
Now, some of you are like, preacher, I don't want the same body. <laughs> I want to be skinnier. I want to be heavier. I want to be darker. I want to be lighter. I want to have some hair. Y'all, when we are resurrected, we will be glorified. That word glory means radiance, brightness, splendor. Everybody will be glorious. And what we look like to others and ourselves will not matter because we're all going to be glorious. Matter of fact, we won't care about our physical appearance because there'll be no shame. There'll be no shame in being skinny. There'll be no shame in being big boned. There'll be no shame in being bald and beautiful. There'll be no shame in being too dark or too light or too pale or too tan. There'll be no shame in being too short or too tall because we'll all be glorified. And matter of fact, let me come on from behind him. Matter of fact, we won't care about what one another looks like because we'll be so beholden by the glory of Christ. <laughs> I ain't got no time to be looking about your physical appearance. I'm just going to be basking in his presence. And maybe that's a word for some of us today. And I'm preaching to myself. Maybe when I'm uh, 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 discouraged by my own physical appearance, I need to focus on Christ. So hear me, because there are many of us in this room who we struggle with our physical appearance, and we lack confidence, it stresses us out, it depresses us, but, 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 but maybe we need to start living our future in our present. Even if I look just like this, y'all ain't going to talk about me in glory. You won't realize I got big ears. Come, Lord Jesus. Friends and glory, everything about us will be honorable. So then, Paul now moves on. He gives us now, thirdly, the motive for resurrected bodies in verses 50 through 58. The motive for resurrected bodies. First of all, he shares with us this mortal restriction in verse 50. He starts this final section dealing with the resurrection by giving us the reason we need resurrected bodies. Verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. The reason we need resurrected bodies, saints, is because the body in its present form is not fit or suitable for the future world. It's impossible. That which is corruptible cannot enter the realm of the incorruptible. Our present bodies, whether living or dead, are absolutely unfit for the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, it's metaphysically incompatible. 
I have no idea what I just said. So the question is, thank you, it does sound good, didn't it? Thank you, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the question now is, how will believers then be able to enter the kingdom of God? Because we've got corruptible bodies. And what about those who are still alive when Christ returns? Paul then moves from the mortal restriction to the mystery revealed in verse 51 through 53. Behold, I tell you a mystery. A mystery is that which was previously hidden from us, but, but, but through Christ it has now been revealed. We shall not all sleep but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Paul acknowledges that all, not all believers, will have died when Christ returns. Though not all will die, all will be changed. That word change means to be made different. In other words, we will be transformed. And Paul says this change will happen suddenly. He says it'll be in a moment. That word moment is atomos in the Greek. It means indivisible. It's where we get our word atom from, A-T-O-M. An atom was considered to be a particle too small to split. Thus, a moment is a span of time that can't be divided. That's how quick it is. This, this change that's going to happen to us, it will be instantaneous. He says it will be in the twinkling or the blink of an eye. Everybody do me a favor and blink your eyes as fast as you can. That was too slow. It'll be faster than that. That change is going to happen instantaneously. Not only does Paul give us this mortal restriction and the mystery reveal, he says, now, I want to share with you about the menace ruined. That, the word menace, it means a danger or a threat. He says, when our bodies are changed, immortality puts on immortality in verse 54, he says, then will come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Friends, the good news of the resurrection is death will have been defeated once and for all. Death will be put to death forever. It no longer has its sting, which is sin. So it, therefore, it is impotent. Paul says we now share in this victory that Christ attained when he died and rose from the grave. And Paul, after writing this truth, stops for a praise break in verse 57. He says, but thanks be to God <laughs> who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And friends like Paul, this morning we ought to be thankful that we have victory over death. Let me see if I can put a window there for you. Donald Gray Barnhouse lost his first wife. And when they were driving home, his kids were asking him 
questions about dying. And this wonderful preacher and theologian was struggling to find a way to explain to his children this concept of death and what happened to mommy. And while he was doing that, a truck passed by and it cast a shadow over their car. And he asked the kids, would you rather be hit by the truck or hit by the shadow? Of course, they chose the shadow because the shadow couldn't do them any harm. It just darkened things for a moment. Barnhouse told his kids, when you die without Christ, you are hit by the truck. But when you die with Christ, you're only hit by the shadow. You missed a good spot to do a lap around this building because that's all death is. It's just the shadow. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And thou art with me. So then, what are we to do with all this? Paul, you've given us all this information. What do we do with this? And I'm going to be done. I didn't preach as long as I had hoped to. Verse 58. He gives us the moral response. Therefore, my beloved brother, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The present application for this future reality is that we ought to be steadfast and immovable. That word steadfast, it means to stand firm, to be planted. And you stand so firm that you cannot be moved. Paul, he he knows that these Corinthians have been fickle and flimsy concerning their belief in the resurrection. They, they, they have not stood firm in their convictions and, and their doctrine. And Paul is saying, based on the truth that I've declared and revealed, stand firm. Don't be moved. Don't waver. Don't give ground. Stand your gospel ground. Keep working for the Lord. And let this work be done in abundance. Ooh. Let this work be done in abundance, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Not every six weeks, but always abounding in the work of the Lord. Not twice a month, but always abounding in the work of the Lord. Not just when you feel like it, but always abounding in the work of the Lord. Not once every quarter, but always abounding in the work of the Lord. Y'all sure got quiet on me. Why? Paul says because your labor is not in vain. Words are crucial and words matter. Remember that at the beginning, remember last week's sermon, Paul says, if if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain. 
He's coming back to it. He says, because of the resurrection, your label, everything that you do for the Lord, it's not in vain. Because the resurrection is real, your labor is real. It has meaning. It has purpose to it. So keep on working. Keep on serving. Because the, the old church used to say it like this. Come on back, worship team. Serving the Lord. <laughs> I wish I had a witness in here. Serving the Lord will pay off after a while. Uh, you, so you just keep on, keep on working every day. And whatever is right, God said he would pay. So keep on serving the Lord. Because serving the Lord will pay off. After a while, God, God, God is faithful. He keeps his word. He's never in debt. So you keep on working because your labor is not in vain. After a while, you will reap. Don't you faint, though. Don't you get discouraged. Don't you give up. Keep on working. Oh, can I pastor for a moment? I'm so thankful for so, for so many of you who serve week in and week out on some regular basis. We couldn't do what we do. We couldn't be where we are if you didn't serve like you serve. So on one hand, as your pastor, let me say thank you. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. But if that's not enough for you, let me tell you what Paul says. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing this, you got to know this, church, that your labor is not in vain. Even when folks don't show up when they're supposed to show up. Keep working. Keep serving. Even when folks decline on Saturday night at 8 o'clock. Keep working. Keep serving. Even when folks say they only want to be bothered once a quarter. Keep working. Keep serving. Even be, when you have to shoulder more of the burden because people are not always abounding, keep working. Keep serving. Your labor is not in vain. Jesus would say it this way, great is your reward in heaven. If people never pat you on the back enough, keep working. If people never say thank you, keep working. Because only what you do for Christ will last. I want you to be there. In that great getting up morning, will you be there? When we rise, when our soul is reunited with our bodies, when we receive our glorified bodies, I want you to be there. The only way you can participate in this new creation, this resurrection, is through Jesus Christ our Lord. You must believe that he is the Savior for your sins against the most holy God. 
And as a result of your sin, you deserve eternal separation from, from God in hell. But God loved you so much that he sent his son to die your, in your place, to die your death, to be your substitute, to be your replacement. You were so sinful that you were unfit to die your own death. So God had to come and do it himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And he said at the cross, it is finished. Jesus has done all the work. Now, we just respond by faith, by trusting completely in him, the son of God, and his work on the cross of Calvary. And when you believe you have eternal life, the inheritance of the kingdom of God. So I'm appealing to you today. We want you to be transferred from the kingdom of heaven, from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of Christ. Everybody serves a king, a ruler. It's either you're either part of the kingdom of Satan or the kingdom of Christ. Kingdom of Christ, we have eternal life kingdom of Satan, eternal damnation. And so we beg of you, my friend, my brother, my sister, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody else is here, you're already believing in Jesus Christ, your Lord. Saint, don't forget our hope that we have, that we're going to get a new body and it won't be like this corrupted, decaying, dying, deteriorating body. One day, man, somebody here ought to be able to shout that one day there'll be no more arthritis. One day there'll be no more back pain. No more heartache, no more stomach ache. No more gout. We're going to be transformed. We'll be changed. I'm excited. Paul has revealed a mystery, but he's also reminded us that we have victory. Friends, there is victory in Jesus. Death is only a shadow. We don't fear it. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Let's stand.